The following program contains irreverent humor, brilliant insights, and story elements from television or film that may give away important details. We got spoilers, or as they say in Klingon, Gumaka. Don't say we didn't warn you. The wait is over. After 12 years of having all transmissions offline, Star Trek is back on TV for one glorious night. This time, the show is going where no black woman has gone before by casting The Walking Dead's Sonequa Martin-Green as First Officer Michael Burnham, and like all other Star Trek shows, all hell breaks loose. What the Trek? That's the name of this podcast, and I am the show's captain, Fausto Fernos, who looks fabulous in Starfleet uniforms. I follow whatever directive I feel like following, prime or otherwise. My number one is First Commander Mark Felian, who can't wait to sit in the captain's chair, but is he ready for it? Thanks, dear. Also joining us is Science Officer Brian Sweeney, who has a micro-penis, I mean microprocessor, in, in his head that contains everything nerd. Thanks, dear. <laughs> and the black woman of the crew is comedian Colette Gregory. We aren't sure what she does yet. Um, I'm the communications <laughs> officer. Okay. Well, her mom did go to high school with Avery Brooks, the jazz musician and actor best known as Captain Cisco from Deep Space Nine. And she's a very funny lady. Ooh. Welcome, everyone. We come in peace. <laughs> and, of course, if you've been watching Star Trek, you know everything's going to go to hell. <laughs> uh, the Star Trek Discovery is back on television. I think it's really great that they started by talking about the show's number one core principle, the prime directive. And what the prime directive is at its core is the idea that you cause more harm than good sometimes, even with the best intentions, when a technologically superior civilization tries to assist someone who's not ready for it yet. And so if the society or the individual isn't ready to be helped, to be assisted, you leave things alone. It's interesting that the Klingons are sort of being set up in this, in this environment where they hear the, the, the Federation of Planets. They're all going, oh, we come in peace. Those monsters, those <laughs> awful people. They're colonizers. They're colonizers. They're space colonizers. Well, they've also, they don't really have the prime directive yet, from what I understand, because they call it General Directive Order 1 or something, when they land down yeah. on that little desert planet and make water for uh, the little crab people. <laughs> make water. That's what uh, Morgan Freeman says in uh, Driving Miss Daisy when he had to piss, and he's like, I need to pull over. I need to make water. Yeah. <laughs> make water for those people out there that don't is a euphemism for peeing, right? Yes. <laughs> so these little crab people were, you know... Little crab people? Well, weren't they kind of crab people? Oh, yeah, it was they? kind of like Gollum or something. We just saw, like, the back of them, kind of. <laughs> My yeah. precious then, well. Yeah. Because they gave them water, and these were obviously people that didn't have, like, warp power. And so we'll see what happens to them, because, you know, once you interfere with a species like that and you give them, you know, you dig a well, and the next thing you know, it's like everything hell breaks loose. The space Hitler, the, the, yeah. the, the, the space Nazis, you just save 
space Nazis from obliteration <laughs> by digging a well for them, and that is why the Prime Directive is so important. I think they're like the space Taliban more. Yeah. 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 I think they're... Why is it space Taliban? Because they live in the desert? Well, okay, yes. Number one, they live in the desert, and they Taliban. were like wrapped up in the desert, but more so because we went in there and we thought that we were helping them, you know, get against Russia, and then now the Taliban is like fucking everything up for everybody. Are you so, talking about the Mujahideen? Whoever. <laughs> the Taliban was democratically elected, I believe. Mm. There's a difference between Al-Qaeda. What we're trying to say is the Iraq war still rages on. Thank you, folks. Anyway. And, and, and I think what Star Trek has really shined throughout the years since the show first started in the 1960s, wasn't it? Or the late 60s? 1966. Right? 1966 was creating allegories for the situations and challenges we face as society uh, from, you know, we're still dealing with racism. Mm-hmm. We're still dealing with xenophobia. We're still dealing with colonialism. We're still dealing with a lot Colon- of colonialism. Colonialism. I was like, where is he going with colonialism. that? And, and I think I that part of it, colon. it's really interesting that the first challenge that the show faces and starts drawing attention was to examine the whole expression, we come in peace. Mm. And at first I thought, I was like, what is the, the right? Because this show is written, being written with Trump and the, and the alt-right, you know, uh, f- circumstances that this country faces right now in the background. And so the idea that, like, you know, being coming in peace can start a war is a very interesting idea, don't you guys think? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Klingon, the main Klingon dude who gives that speech— and, like, you sort of feel like he's alt-right Klingon. But he's right about, like, in the same way that it is colonization, and that's always been a big problem with science fiction in general, but also Star Trek specifically. It's a very neoliberal colonization, colonial ideal idea of once we are able to get out into space, like we're just going to be like, hey, you want this? And then we just like set up outposts and never leave. And that we also know like the way to do things in the same way, like the Iraq war, when we're like, we're going to give them democracy. And it's like, that's not what they want because of the culture of whatever and shit like that. That's always been a big problem with Star Trek and science fiction. Whenever you do speculative fiction of any kind, you have to do it mostly just rested upon British colonialism. Anyway, <laughs> what the Klingon is saying, though, is is like they don't have their own identity because the Federation is moving through space and the Federation wants to be friends with the Klingons, but that just means you bring over Coca-Cola and blue jeans and you homogenize everything, so therefore like, you lose the culture and it just gets beaten down. And into this swill that there's sort of just nothingness. There's just a beige. And that's always been a problem with Star Trek that people have pointed out. And there's a lot of love science fiction because it's unfortunately like you put it on the stage of the universe or whatever or the galaxy. But you're doing it from a Western, mm-hmm. mostly American, possibly British, but British American well, colonial uh, standpoint. Right. Like, so it's like. That's a big problem. Isn't, didn't didn't, that didn't Ron D. Moore, uh, who who you know he was sort of involved in the final season of Voyager, and he no, came the, up fir- the first couple episodes, he was involved. 
Ronald D. Moore was involved throughout uh, the beginning of, I think, season three of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. He did a little bit. But then he only did like the first two episodes of Voyager. What's the so, point? I, I know. Sorry, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Twenty minutes later. I a point if you so Ron D. Moore, who was involved in introducing the Borg to Star Trek, uh, he introduced it because he felt that Starfleet was too much like people from Connecticut that they needed a slap in their face to have their values questioned, to to have their humanity thrown back at them and say, you know what, we don't want this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing, too, is like when you look at even like small town America, it's like you have these towns and you have something like Walmart come in. And so they think of these clinghouses as being these small town people, like business owners, they have their own life, their culture. And then you bring in a Walmart and it just, you know, sucks the life out of these towns. Well, the problem with like a Starfleet or Federation, the problem with the Federation, because Starfleet is just a, a Earth version of it, would be when you bring them to another planet, it will have to disrupt everything like regardless of how and maybe because it's in the future therefore we've figured out how to do this but the way that it's done in humanity is we bring about with the best of intentions say Mm -hmm. say that we're not doing it for capitalist reasons or anything like that we don't want to conquer anyone we want to bring a well to a starving nation Mm -hmm. or a nation that doesn't have water and that's all we need and then we leave somebody is going to get an idea from that well that wouldn't have existed before because now there's something there that gives power and can Mm -hmm. be be possibly seized upon if and that's the big problem with the prime directive like in the classic star trek episode of a piece of the action where they leave a communicator or no they leave at the end they leave a communicator somebody left a book of chicago gangsters of the 30s so they base their entire planet on gangsters Mm -hmm. um so like that's the problem. When you bring these things in, just like when we go back to the all right or whatever, the Internet, when we think about the expression of ideas, if you're like a good person, quote unquote, or whatever, you're like, this is going to be great because now everyone's going to have more empathy and now we can learn things without taking into account. You can just also use it for terrible red meat, hatred or Lies and manipulate people, and then have people decide which they want to believe in and which they don't, and shit like that. And so, this is why, like, and also, like, ISIS using it, Trump being elected, fucking France, uh, Germany, all of these places. Like, it is crazy how bad thing the world is because of the internet. But I mean, I I think that just like what I was saying, like, you have to go like a hundred years maybe from now. And we'll have figured that out because mm-hmm. I think that just like the well or bringing about something to another planet, it takes a long time for humanity. And it first has to start by fucking being terrible. And then eventually we get used to it or something. What do you think, Colette? Yeah. Well, OK, I think a lot of things. Um, I know you do. <laughs> on this in particular, I mean, yeah, that it's the, the nature of of man or of humanity, if you want to be PC about it, is that whenever you meddle in something, you have the potential to affect it in a way that it can be uh, negative outcomes. And you can come in with the best intentions, but you can't. Everyone else that you uh, come in contact with doesn't necessarily have the same intentions as you. But also, like, the Heisenberg principle, that was called? The thing of, like, just by 
examining something or seeing mm-hmm. something you affect it mm-hmm. yeah and so like in the same way like when you have like time travel shit if you go back in time and breathe anything or just by having a physical space that you are in mm-hmm. you have somehow affected things that will affect mm-hmm. the rest of the planet mm-hmm. well you so know, that's I, always like that's a tough thing and i don't know how you how like humanity does right. it so like star trek obviously like it's like we don't have to like necessarily think about that but like if you're going to raise these ethical questions it's always going to be very very tough especially when it's couched in british colonialism sure. which it, it always is everybody has their own kind of ways and you know you can affect people's cultures in different ways i recently heard a story of i don't know if it was africa or in the middle east you know humanitarians came in there and they built this well in the middle of town because they're like look these women have to go all the way to the river mm-hmm. to wash their clothes and to get water and stuff and then they, they these the women they, they discovered that like all of a sudden that the women were destroying the well and they're like why we built this well for you why does it keep getting destroyed and the women are like well we're sabotaging it because the only time that we can actually spend time with each other and away from our house and away from our families mm-hmm. and to, you know to be with our sisters is to get out of the out of this town away from the men away from the kids and do our womanly thing it's and also was like walking to the yeah, well that was, was miles well, away miles away yeah. and, and having that time because that's you know they enjoyed that here we think oh my god that's a to- that's a horrible chore that you have to go through and then they're like this is our way of life it's also people that like want a certain mm-hmm. thing like uh, women who choose like I will be a homemaker and the, my husband can have all the like the say and I will just, and I don't want anything else. Like mm-hmm. I don't want. And so we have to respect that. But it's also almost impossible for us to imagine such a thing to be like, we made a deal that I would raise the kids and cook the dinner and he would always take care of me or whatever mm-hmm. seems baffling. But like that type of shit is why it is so hard to imagine that there will ever be something like Star Trek or what would happen if we actually went to other planets and found, found humanoid creatures and cultures. Can I ask a question? So, uh, this particular series, can we talk about where it lies in order of the other series? And I have a feeling that like the questions that they're asking about how the, the Prime Directive affects uh, how different cultures I, so, I don't know what so I want to say. Evolve. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that might be a question that they're asking on purpose in order to, to oh, explain so how that's conscious, the, yeah, yeah. The, to explain how the series has developed. So in the timeline of this whole thing, the first thing that comes first is a TV show called Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. And that's happened like a hundred years before this, or ninety years, I think, or something like that, yeah, right? It was ninety or ninety years, mm-hmm. ninety years before this, and then everything kind of after that got rewritten because with the movies, like there was some time travel. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they had to have a whole new storyline. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but so this is actually, this period that we're in right now is affected by this storyline. So in many ways, it's like anything goes. Because anything that happens, like in TNG, Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, you can throw all that stuff out the window. Because we don't know what's going to happen. But I thought they haven't said fully whether or not it's the Kelvin, which is from the movies, mm-hmm. the Kelvin timeline or the classic oh, normal so timeline, know. but it takes it takes place ten years before the original series. Right. Before so, Captain, so Captain, or at least yeah. the fi- the be- right. before Kirk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kirk is not before Captain, the Captain Enterprise, the Enterprise. but the, the main character Michael Burnham is raised by Sp- Spock's father. Mm-hmm. So she must have grown up with Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, and she she's Spock Spock's is, sister. She's Spock's well, Vulcan's sister. lived to like two hundred though. Yeah. So, so I I want to say that he's at the time that the show is on, he's like twenty six years old. Right, yeah. at the, right at this point. So he's actually probably not that much younger than she is. Mm-hmm. So, so it makes sense sure. that they're setting 
supporting that 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 premise mm-hmm. that you know coming in and, and colonizing that it has these effects and this is how the relationship with the Klingons has gotten to this point and well I yeah. think the key idea here is that they're not there to colonize they're mm-hmm. not there to take over they're there to assist to help mm-hmm. to learn they literally say we're just we're explorers mm-hmm. we're not warriors so, but that's star that Starfleet though is in their mind but you have to remember too there's other characters in there that that will come up and we'll we will see like a character like Harry Mudd who does want to take over planets who is a con man sure. who's probably going to be very much mm-hmm. like a, a more comical version of Trump maybe we'll see and so the idea of the prime directive and Mark and I have always talked about this in the way that we relate to people as we tape these various podcasts through the through Feast of Fun is that we're always interacting with new people and Mark and I sometimes said we have to follow the prime directive. Sometimes people are not ready to hear what you have to say, what good advice you have to present to them. They can't hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, like Oprah says that, right? Mm-hmm. I can't hear this. Um, and, and it's the idea like a lifeguard who's trying to save someone who's drowning. Sometimes you get pulled under with the person who's struggling in the water. So you have to have them to some degree, have them swim to you mm. in order to calm them down to save, to bring them to shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shel Silverstein uh, wrote in a poem, uh, and I just want to say this and then move on to talking about the the star of the show, Saniqua. Um, some kind of help is the kind of help that helping's all about, <laughs> but some kind of help is the kind of help we all can do without. <laughs> Uh, so, Star Trek Discovery, as I like to call it, STD, <laughs> go, boldly goes where no black woman has gone before. In the marketing, they were always like going, this is the first time we've had a black uh, lead in Star Trek. And then Avery Brooks is like, Excuse pissed me. off about that. Yes. Uh, your, your mom actually knew, hang out with Avery Brooks in yeah. high school. Yeah, they went to high school together, and they were both on National Honor Society, and, you know, were always fighting back and forth about who was going to be first and or you know second in, in the class rank and she she says of him that he was british back in high school which is Meaning hilarious what, exactly. because well my mom is from Gary, Indiana, so nobody was British. Uh, but he always had that, you know, Shakespearean voice. It's the that stage he, actor. The stage actor, voice. yes. You have no right. You yeah. have no you right. You have no right. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, this. <laughs> Girl, you got no right. He also speaks like, he also speaks like a jazz man sometimes, yeah. also. Very and, slow and, and yeah, uh, directed. Uh, well, yes, it's the notes you don't play. Mm. <laughs> That became George And, well, and, and in, in interviews, uh, uh, Avery Brooks is uh, he considers himself piano. first a musician and an actor second. Mm. But for for and, and this is one thing that I really enjoyed about Star Trek uh, with the casting of Avery Brooks and certainly uh, Patrick Stewart and um, uh, Janeway. Um, I'm blanking out her name. Kate um, Mulgrew. Kate Mulgrew is that the actors were cast to some degree as a reflection of the characters themselves and added a lot of richness to those characters. Avery Brooks, to some degree, is a mirror universe Cisco, and certainly Kate Mulgrew is a mirror universe of Janeway, hmm. and they share a lot of common. The, the characters and the actors share a lot of common passions. Are you saying that Janeway is bipolar? Or 
Okay, well, well mere universe. Yeah, but Jane yeah, right. interviews. She really has a strong passion for science. Uh, you know that other mm-hmm. actors don't. Avery Brooks has a strong passion for uh, a jazz music. Jazz music. Well, on, on television shows, yeah. what they do is they make the characters and then they. Uh, will cast the actors but then usually around like the seventh episode or eighth episode that's when they can start writing toward the actual actors so that's when the actors will become more like or the characters become more like the actors and that's when you like see what they're uh, more their uh, talents and their little quirks and shit like that but Avery Brooks also the D Space Nine thing he was so he said that it was so important and he wanted to do it so much because in uh, the pilot episode, his wife and his wife dies, leaving him uh, a single father with his son. And he said uh, that he had never seen, like on television or movies or hardly anywhere, a black man raising a son by himself. Mm-hmm. He said that he's always only seen black men leaving mm-hmm. their sons. So that's so he always talked about how important that was to have on there with his son Jake and Jacks. And so in so in, <laughs> and so in STD we have uh, the Walking Dead Sonequa Martin Green as first officer Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. Who is Sonequa Martin Green? Like what is her passion? I mean, Me. we know her from The Walking Dead. Mm. That's my wife. <laughs> mm. You said her passion, she, not I yours. She, I think Me. she's buried with kids already. Not yours. She doesn't love him, though. But who is, <laughs> you can tell. Who is Michael Burnham as a character that, that's being introduced? Because well, race is such an important right. factor mm-hmm. in the history of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, let's let, you know, the, the Klingons look. Are, are black in some ways. But you're also, Colette, you describe them as white supremacists. Well, you know, watching it, there's definitely these these little underpinnings that you see of, of white nationalism. And Vice did this article where they talked about it, how people were watching the show and everyone was tweeting about how closely it, it, the things that they were saying were marking with uh, white nationalist speech. Uh, there were things where they were saying that, you know, they, they came to destroy our identity, that uh, our purity is a threat to them. That they wish to drag us into muck with the other races. So there's mm. definitely this, this white nationalism uh, undercurrent that uh, probably was intentional in the writing, considering that it was written during the the election. And you know, people were tweeting about it um, in this article from Vice. I can pull it up here. They said many fans on Twitter were quick to point out that lines and themes from the show could easily be applied to our current political climate in the U.S. The Klingons opened the series with a nationalist call to arms, mm. fearing erosion of their culture from the peaceful federation mm-hmm. and ready to remain and ready to battle to quote, remain Klingon. I could almost hear them chanting, you will not replace us. Mm. Well, certainly, you know, the cast is kind of feeling that same kind of thing because before the premiere, uh, the real Sonequa posted on Instagram, all the cast right before premiere, they were all like bending the knee. They were taking the knee to, you know, do the same kind of protest that the football players have been taking. And so for people who may not be familiar why these football players are kneeling, as opposed to, you know, doing a black power mm-hmm. salute with her fist up in the air or doing or you know, praying or sitting down. Kneeling is supposed to be a symbol of what a soldier does for a fallen comrade. Mm. Right. It's a sign of respect. Right. That, and they're, they're saying that the United States is fallen 
and uh, to doing the national anthem, uh, doesn't you don't stand for it. You kneel now because the, the, our nation is struggling so much mm-hmm. under the right wing right. and you and know the Black violence. Lives Matter movement. You know exactly. people taking a stand up against poli- uh, police brutality. But it is a tough because while that is true, I don't think the show is able to figure out really what it's trying to say. It's a mess of a show, the first two episodes. Yeah. Because while it's true, in the very fucking beginning mm-hmm. of it, it's like the Klingons are saying that, and then they talk about like dragging us into the muck and shit. It's like the Klingons are just there, and then the Federation encroaches upon them. So it's not like, so is that wrong to say we don't want this anymore like leave us alone Mm -hmm. please stop coming here and for him to say for the main klingon guy to say like they always start with a lie we come in peace it is hard to say that they're wrong when whether the klingons are wrong when we then see that all of starfleet is full of photon torpedoes and phasers and all these methods of war and the first time that a Starfleet person is shown with a Klingon, she fucking murders him. Well, he was coming at her, though. Yes, but that's his place. You're mm-hmm. allowed to do... That's not... That's, You're so, visiting his home. What yeah. I'm saying... Yeah. What it, I'm it saying... And, and yes, like, that's fine. But the only reason, like, we're changing <laughs> okay. that is because that was Michael Burnham, and we like her because mm-hmm. she's our protagonist. If... We didn't know her, and yeah. she just showed up. She's it is intruder. fine to mm-hmm. just to to try to get her away from you because that's my thing. That's mm-hmm. and also it is. But we also have to like remember, like so. Because back to Faust's question, who is she? So she's a she's a, a a human whose parents died during a battle with the Klingons, and so she was raised by Spock's father, Sark, and uh, was instructed in the ways of being a Vulcan. And so she's you know somebody who is uh, very analytical very logical but probably also very much wrestling with her human emotional side so in many ways she's kind of like uh, you know a, a different version of Spock half human half Vulcan we also don't know who she is we don't know who any of these characters mm-hmm. are really they're just cookie cutter things like at this point and you talking about like her race is like must play a big issue like there's nothing in this that matters that she's black or a woman it, it well, i think it's more the the human race because there was yes. that, that comment yeah. that uh was made mm-hmm. that was like uh race versus culture and it was to hers like you uh i'm trying to remember who said it it was her her, her mentor sarah sarah yeah sarah said it uh you uh over anyone could understand the difference between race and culture, and it was because she was talking about that the Klingons were uh, violent people. They were violent mm-hmm. people, and that when you see a Klingon, what you need to do is give them a Vulcan greeting, which is to kill them. Was, was that uh, episode Vulcan one or episode, episode two? Yeah. The Vulcan that was episode was one. That was episode, episode one. one. Yeah, okay. it was episode Sorry. one. We, um, we made sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the whole yeah. idea of the, the, the race versus culture, it was human race. And she said, you know, their culture, their culture as as Klingons is a violent culture. So I think that that is something that they are struggling with throughout this, the show. And, and, and I think that that's on purpose and saying it to her, I had to pause and I was like, is he saying that because she is black? And I was like, Oh no, it's because she's part of the human race, but she grew up in a different 
with a different race. She grew mm-hmm. up with the Vulcan race, which I think is and very Vulcan interesting. Culture, right. And Vulcan, that, that they and for somebody like myself who you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico. My mother's fa- grew up in Texas, but her family—I'm sorry—grew up in Mexico, but her family's from Texas. I feel like I've always had sort of being pulled in multiple di- directions. Uh, am I an American? Am I a Puerto mm-hmm. Rican? Even mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans are Americans. You know. Uh, who am I, right? And so Belana Torres, uh, who was a Latina Klingon mm-hmm. <laughs> in Voyager, mm-hmm. really resonated with me. So I'm very excited about Michael Burnham's character being mm-hmm. front and center in this series because she's also wrestling being pulled apart by two different worlds mm-hmm. of being of humanity, of being the Federation, and being Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, her, her. Let's talk about. I know oh I want to talk about her hair. <laughs> yes, this intergalactic weave. lace front, which killed me. Oh my god! <laughs> so she has the flawless. Oh my she god. looks so good. It, nice. It, it, battle cannot mess it up. She must have the same hairstylist on that that uh, ship as Beyonce does, because she can take wind. She can. <laughs> she looks She can like, battle with a Klingon. She looks like like Revlon posters you see mm-hmm. in like Walgreens and shit. Yeah, like it she's, was. Well, yeah, she's, showers in the she future. Is, just like anything. Can She's stunning. And like, if you imagine so like beautiful. where la- where weaves and lace fronts and wigs technology is today, as opposed <laughs> to it was fifty years ago. This is true. I mean, it's going to be amazing. To have Obviously, it's not though because we see the well, original series. Here, yeah. Do you remember? Oh, spoiler for original series. Uh, all the women in that had the worst wigs possible. <laughs> you heard Chapel was the worst with her yeah. terrible blonde uh, bird wig. Edson Yeoman with that like uh, what was Yeoman it Rand. Yeoman ran with that, like, it looked like she had, like, a little margarine tub on her yeah. head. The hair was just wrapped around. <laughs> but but for, for uh, Michael Burnham, she, she uh, and I don't want to give, you know, you mm-hmm. and I were really kind of aghast about it. Yeah. So, and we're going to talk about this more in episode two, uh, which is, you know. Yeah, save it for episode two, though. But it's, it's there there's, her hair just seems inconsistent. Yeah. It just to and me, implausible, it, even yeah. for its technology. But last time I saw you, your hair was different. Well, of course, honey. You know, that's my birthright, being able to switch <laughs> up my hair. My thoughts were, I was like, why are they deciding to make the statement for her to have, you know, a weave and or, you know, processed, relaxed hair? Um, here she is, the first female black lead of a television series like this. And so I was wondering, like, what are they trying to say that in order to be first in command, you have to present in a certain way. But it'll be interesting to see as the show progresses how her hair parallels her development as a character so you think she's like if she gets really empowered she's gonna go full fro i mean it's very possible she you know (laughs) might get more natural who knows she might get some cornrows we'll have to wait and see i mean because for for black women and and just african-american culture hair is a really big deal it is. It is. It's, you know, I know lots of people who will wear their hair a certain way for a job interview. And then the first week there, you might wear it that way. And then the second week, you're like, OK, now you gonna see the real me. So it, it's definitely <laughs> something that, you know, from a child getting your hair pressed or getting your hair straightened before you go to church, ways that you're told to, you're supposed to present yourself for the rest of society. So it'll be interesting to see how they explore that. And because Star Trek has in some ways, has you know, even though it's one of the major TV shows to deal with race in a lot of ways it's still very much uh, whitewashed and and so it's interesting where they take her character and all the nuances that you know because it's, this is something subtle that's just happening in the background that you and I are picking up mm-hmm. on that maybe like mm-hmm. Mark and, and Brian you guys didn't really think too much about it 
That's I, all I thought about. Yeah, I, yeah, really yeah. I didn't even know this. I was like, well, this is so big. I also know that you're skipping ahead to previews from week three. Yeah. So, but you know, as long as we're talking about the looks, let's talk about uh, what do you guys think of the uniforms? They were wearing gold for command and silver for science and copper for operations for like the little side details. It was but blue. The, the jumpsuit. Yeah, I thought it was it was a bluish. It's for a blue jumpsuit, but the side panels. Yeah, the side panels were yeah. bluish. No, but they were different colors. If you notice. No, I did, but you okay. couldn't have blue because the regular suit was yeah. blue. But there was a bit of blue. It was fine. I don't know. There's like. Are they, you disappointed that they didn't go with like the the TOS kind of colors? Gold, I guess, red, but, but I mean the movies do that now, mm-hmm. so you can't really do it. I mean it's it's fine. The the bold primary colors though. It's I don't. Does it not I, translate I, well in this in this day and age? Does it look like it's too cheap? Because well, you know the, it was actually really hard to find. We Faust and I had some Star Trek uniforms made, and uh, of I, the original and the, series. The original, I was researching and researching and researching it, and they were originally made out of velour, and like we just could not find any kind of velour at all in uh, those in, colors. In, the and in, the, in those colors, but we did uh, meet George Decay wearing them, and he felt them, and he, <laughs> he felt them with his hands. He goes, "Close enough." <laughs> <laughs> now get away from me. <laughs> I have to go to the brambles. <laughs> I want another bite of that apple pie. Oh, my. And there's a photo, if you search Fausto, Mark, and George Takei, of me mm-hmm. dressed up as a half-human, half-Andorian, and Mark as a Vulcan, uh, feeding George Takei apple pie. This is <laughs> this is not Photoshop. They give a shout-out to the Andorians in the episode. They say humans, Tellarites, and Andorians. Mm-hmm. All the monsters of space. Now, what did you guys think of the theme song? I really liked it, but it was just the. It was like the Alexander Courage original. Mm-hmm. Most of the it. I mean, it was obviously <laughs> harking to that, and it started out with the like, which is fine. Uh, it was so good. I like the theme. They didn't use the same theme song. Theme, theme song theme from like song. Enterprise. I was very upset. Uh, it's been a long road <laughs> getting from uh, there. I wanted like here. a vaporwave remix. You know that actually was a a, a Rod Stewart song at no. one point in time. Yes, it was written by uh, Warren. Yeah, that Diane Warren. Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, the senator. She persisted <laughs> writing music. Uh-uh. She was like, I think Medicare for all and it's been a well I just thought it would have like a little bass or you know maybe a verse by Cardi B or something since we got my girl Sadiqua in the lead you know it was nothing I could twerk to but well I mean (laughs) while we're talking we can talk about race and all this like all we want but like almost everything in like nice liberal world uh, it's just the window dressing the people behind the scenes are all white men and like maybe they'll have some women but I'm sure that they have, like, one or two, maybe, people of color writing on this show. Maybe more. Mm. But, I mean, the people in the original series, The Next Generation, uh, Voyager, like, all these things. I mean, it's the same shit with, like, people talking about how great, like, Wonder Woman is. And it was great. But it was written by three men. Mm. So, like, let's all, like, you have to calm down about some shit and be like... And, like, all of the... Well, yes and no. Uh, there are, obviously, their diversity could be much more improved, but mm-hmm. Star Trek was one of the first TV shows to hire women writers. DC Fontana. Yeah, she had to change yeah. her name. Dorothy Fontana oh. had to change it to DC. So, you know, there, I, I would I would argue that probably behind the scenes, you know, they, I mean, they cast the gay guy from Rent. 
Mm-hmm. The rest. Well, we haven't seen him yet. And yeah. Episode one. Wilson Cruz. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, Wilson Rapp. Cruz is Wilson Cruz from My So Called Life is in oh. it too. Yeah, they're going to start singing. Yeah, I was surprised. I was <laughs> definitely looking to see if it was going to pass the Bechtel test. And as you know, explain the, uh, the Bechtel test yeah. for the people out there that don't know what that is. Totally. So the Bechtel test was coined by Alison Bechtel, and it basically says that a work of fiction needs to fe- to feature at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. And it opens up with that. It opens up with uh, the captain and the commander uh, talking to each other and talking about the prime directive and talking about uh, how to get back to the ship. And how cute the, the lieutenant is. No, no, no. <laughs> that yes. was you, girl. <laughs> I mean, that was it, you. It was written by two men. Mm-hmm. The the dialogue. So, oh, yeah. I mean, but I, so I don't know. I think people are becoming more uh, familiar with the Bechtel test. And for people that don't know also, too, uh, Alison Bechtel, she did uh, her show uh, Fun Home. Won mm-hmm. a bunch of musical. Tonys, the musical yes. won a bunch of Tonys. Dykes to watch out for. Mm-hmm. That's, <laughs> That's where the Bechdel test came from. Yeah. She's, she's like, it was a joke. Can everyone stop? Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Most things don't pass the Bechdel test, but that's... You know, I notice it myself too. I'm like, can these women have a conversation and not be about a guy? And almost, you know well, what? But it's a rarity. It really is. Sadly, it is. Sadly, it's, it it's, it's a rarity for any movie mm-hmm. to just start talking about nothing and like <laughs> that has nothing to do with the plot. Be like, let's not talk about anything. To, like, let's just have a conversation mm-hmm. about something that has nothing to do that will mm-hmm. propel the plot forward. That doesn't happen in movies. Mm-hmm. That's why it's like a joke and then it became like this real thing but it's like mm-hmm. for scripts that's not how scripts work like you can't keep mo- it's not a it's a book you can just sit there and have a chat mm-hmm. about things movies you, it's like if you just sit down and be like you know what I love and be like oh that's interesting because I feel this way about blah 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 mm-hmm. it's like we gotta talk we gotta get a clown in the sewer to fight <laughs> So uh, in episode two, we'll talk about her autonomy because I don't want to give that away in this episode, mm-hmm. right? Because there's there's mm-hmm. a question about whether Michael Burnham is a, is it's an really, autonomous woman, yeah. mm-hmm. or is there a, a man? robot? Yeah. Can she oh. do, a man <laughs> can she do bad all by herself? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> I quit. Oh, shit. Uh, Tyler, I heard that from somebody other than Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry was, was in uh, the 2009 Star was. Trek movie. Uh, I, I'm a little wishing that Tyler Perry would make okay. a cameo in this. You know, Maybe, if Brian Fuller was still there, he might have. Might, but. Might. Uh, what about the caddy work banter in the in the, in the the opening scenes between mm. them? They're like, oh, looks like both of my you know officers are agreeing on something. Write that down, girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Sarcastic, huh? Oh, so sarcastic. Uh, of yeah. course, today I get my period. Oh, that was the weirdest part of the episode. <laughs> what are you watching? She's like, Michelle, yo, man, have a tampon. <laughs> and she's like, here you go. It's a sonic tampon. So yeah, what kind of tampons would they have in Star Trek? They just beam the blood out. Yeah. Oh. I've often thought about periods in space, you know, because, like, there's not gravity. Right, so, like, what? Like, where is it? Well, they do have artificial gravity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're obviously walking around stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, but, like, when, like, when she went outside, of the ship, like oh yeah, happened. let's talk about that. Yeah, so maybe nanobots. which which time? Because it happened twi- <laughs> well, once was in in yes. each episode. Yes. She gets she fucking flies for oh. no reason. Oh. <laughs> so well, so, so the 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 star. What is the name of even the ship? It's not Discovery that the they're Shenzhou. in. The Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. They find some abandoned vehicle on the side of the road in space, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they spend. 
<laughs> what, roughly 78 minutes deciding whether or not to let her go and then having a whole discussion. And she's like, Captain, I want to go. Please let me go. And they're like, okay, well, you have to take Doug Jones. And he's like, no, I'm scared. Sorry. And he's like, <laughs> no, I know that they didn't take Doug Jones. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no I don't want to take Doug Jones. I just want to go by myself. And Michelle, yeah, I was like, okay, then go. And then she's like, okay, cool. And then she like does all this shit and then flies for like 28 minutes. Mm. And then she gets, then she stabs a Klingon. I don't know because it happened. It was also by radioactivity. It was also like in Star Trek in the darkness. They did that with Khan. They both shot each other in the space mm-hmm. and got to the other side. And uh, like it was weird how much they took from the recent movies, and it just seemed like it was like I was like, wow, this looks great because they spend eight point five million per episode or more. But it's like. I don't know. Like, what is the point of this? Like, well, what's... Uh, like, you gotta I, explore some weird objects. Okay, I understand that, but, like, showing constant special effects mm-hmm. and ships shooting each other and blowing up is boring. Because we see that... Because we live in this world where all the movies are just huge CGI shit. And it's like, the things you remember aren't about mm-hmm. like let's Captain America Civil War let's go to because I'd like to um, <laughs> Captain America that, Civil the War. biggest part about Captain America Civil War like the biggest like emotional part is when Tony and Steve are just punching the shit out of each other in a room mm. like it had not the giant stuff that was going on but like when they were fighting like that was the biggest emotional thing and when like it's just ships like shooting at each other in space it's like I've seen this way too much at this point that and none of it matters, and I don't know. And then they just kind of keep showing Klingon, and they keep showing like Federation people, and people be like, "Harbord, oh, we gotta go to Starboard," and like, oh, powering weapons. And it's like, who the hell are you? Right. Like, who are? There's a woman and a dude, and there's another dude behind him, and then they and they just like bark out like, "Oh, there's this is happening," and that's like, I don't give a shit. And well, we're supposed to care when these people die, right? Well, you know, and this thing too is you know, like you say it's kind of a thing to harken back to what's already been there before. So she's obviously kind of like you know Captain Kirk in a way. She's a cowboy, right? And then you have Saru, who's afraid of everything, who's kind of like, you know, is he's like McCoy, right? Because McCoy think, is always But McCoy's not everything. a coward. He just doesn't like transporters. <laughs> he's not like, oh, shit, I have to go on a transport. He's like, ah, goddamn transporters. No, he hates everything. He does, but he, that's who he is. He's a cantankerous old country doctor. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm a doctor, not but a doctor. But, he's not a, co- much, but, but he's not a coward. Well, I don't think Saru is necessarily a coward either. He was very Barkley. He was more Barkley than he oh, was you McCoy. Oh, more Barkley? Yes. Well, and so people that don't, you know, realize like Saru is like he comes from, I guess, a planet where his his species was raised as some kind of prey. Because he's mentioned something like on mm. Earth, we have a food chain. You eat this, you eat this, you eat like somebody else eats that. And it's like we are what the only thing yeah, that we he said. Eat. He said to detect death. He said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He said one is predator, one is prey on my planet, yeah. and I'm prey. And he's like, and it's a real stupid line. But well, he yeah. goes, he's like, yeah. he's like, I was bioengineered. He's like, I was biologically, <laughs> genetically engineered to uh, know when death is coming, and commander. Death is coming, <laughs> and then well, it's like, like, is he, is he being funny? Because like, aren't we all kind of bioengineered uh-huh. to know when death is coming? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, a train is coming, bitch. Like, you know? but he has some sacks that uh, yeah. smell. Uh, he has some sacks. <laughs> Listen here, are my sacks swelling? Well, Vulcans are. <laughs> he sounds like Don Knotts. <laughs> my my sacks are swelling up. Jack, you better be gay or else you can't live here. 
Uh, Vulcans are vegetarians. Yes. yes. It's established. They don't eat anything that's living. So he doesn't have to worry about getting eaten by Vulcans. But humans, uh, and we've seen in Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the Scott Bakula is like, I got great barbecue. How does that work out exactly? The vegetarians and the meat eaters on the same ship. Well, I think that it's like how it is with us. Like... (laughs) We, we hate each other. But there's like not like a good reason that you can yeah. give that you still eat meat. You just are like, fucking, I like meat, man. I'm just an asshole. Like, and then it's like, I wouldn't be able to like t- go to a cow and just slit its own throat. But like, if you give it to me, I don't give a shit. It's like, we, oh, my iPhone's made by child slaves, whatever. Uh, free, free, whatever. Well, is it like, ethical? Because uh, no, everybody's no. replicating their food. So, you know, what does it matter what it is? Because it's being replicated. That's, I mean, that is... Have, uh, they have cooks on some of the things. I'm sure that they have... They have food. a cook uh, in in uh, the original series, but that's also before they really came up with... Uh, because they had the Thanksgiving uh, thing, and it became... Like, they started... The turkeys came to life because of Charlie X in the episode <laughs> Charlie X. And the galley cook who... Uh, who who gives that report was the voice of Gene Roddenberry. Thank oh, you. Oh, I had no idea. And Spock ate meat in the episode All of My Yesterdays, which is the second to last episode. But, yeah, that's, I mean, it is, there's no real reason. But Vulcans also don't eat for pleasure because they don't have, they uh, don't do emotional shit. So and that's why they're they all don't skinny. Need, yeah, and that's why they're thin and they don't need to uh, to eat meat because like it's illogical it is because food is fuel and i don't know like what amanda grayson's sarah's wife if she's eating meat besides sarah but she Colette, you were you were talking about that there are no thick and juicy yeah, girls or no, guys the big girls weren't represented and i was like okay you know we want to go on ships you know we want to see things i watch hidden figures too you know i've been <laughs> trying to do my little calculations uh but to be serious yeah everybody was able-bodied and thin and that was a disappointment to me um you know diversity is not just race and diversity is diversity of body types of ability of sexual orientation of gender identity and it'll be interesting to see if they do explore those things later on but uh you know sci-fi traditionally has been a space where people who are not the most physically fit and whether or not you want to say that that's like a cruel um uh, what do you want to say, stereotype, uh, have found an area of interest or found a safe place. And that's because the, your intellect there is more important than your your physical body. And so I was hoping that we would see people, um, you know, like Jordi LaForge, who were blind or had some other type of physical disability be represented. Or the guy with the, who was in the wheelchair that all he could do is go beep. That's Captain Christopher Pike. Pike. He was sa- he saved like a bunch of kids. <laughs> like I, it was such a '60s like thing to like. Do you know how he ended up in that wheelchair? Huh. Let me tell you, fellow. No, he didn't really say that, but they were like, he saved it. He was like, he saved our kids from a burning orphanage, and now he can only press one button. Poor devil. I mean, there was one albino, um, you know, Klingon, 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 so they were represented. I don't want to leave them out, but I was just hoping for it. Well, and there was that robot head, so maybe that robot head, maybe that person was (laughs) an accident. Oh, Daft Punk. The Daft Punk. Like, maybe they they had, like, something, like, their head got chopped off, and like, hey, we can just replace it with a robot head. But I have, okay. And that's a very practical robot head, because it was, like, a drive-through window at a Mm -hmm. McDonald's or something, and, like, it had the order. Like, they were saying, like, fire all weapons, and his face goes like fire all weapons. You know? But what 
Maybe yeah. in the future. See, this is like, That's I know it doesn't future, matter. Everything's wonderful. It's, it's right? not now in the same way that like we, if we could all afford it, I mean, we can all pretend like, yeah, we, it's great. Um, being uh, overweight or whatever, and I look good. I love myself. Oh, by the way, I used, I used to be very overweight. Um, uh, anyway, you're so about I can to say, say something this. horrible. No, I'm not. I'm going to say. But I'm going to say. I know this. Don't that get stabbed on a podcast. If, if someone said, "Here's a pill. Like, just yeah. pop this in your mouth. You can boom yeah. tomorrow when you wake up. You will be whatever, whatever you want to look like. Your dick will be big again. I don't believe." <laughs> That any your dick gets bigger when you lose weight. Uh, I don't believe that it's true, um, yeah. it, it is true. I don't believe in your boob shrink because mm-hmm. it's a man's world. Patriarchy even is in biology. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway, not these. Uh, um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, anybody would a not pill. take the pill. Yeah, and, and like we would all just want to be mm-hmm. have bodies be banging, mm-hmm. and uh, but. And like no, well, if you no take one, a pill and not be gay or be black, no, because I don't believe you know? that that's. But I don't think that be like, you should have the fat well, There's not right an albino audio. pill though. No one, you know? yeah, but, yeah, but that's, that's a Klingon. <laughs> that's a Klingon. And yeah. but also like Jordy chose not to get uh, eye surgery until first contact. He decided mm-hmm. to finally get it. But so eventually, everybody's gonna succumb to the mainstream. But, I mean, that's what I was saying because like no one honestly likes sweating all the time or getting winded when they walk up a flight of stairs like it's not comfortable or fun or whatever and it's being able to like fit into places and run around because it is kind of it's a military organization even though they're always like we're explorers why are we still fighting it's like you're the ones writing this why do you keep saying this shit anyway so i'm saying like in that in the next two centuries Mm -hmm. if we keep going and you're like because right now we have like laser lipo and like all this shit and like pills sure. and stuff. We're going to probably I mean, like in the future, like are there going to be overweight people? Because there I would could be think- Serena Williams, though. Everybody don't have to look like Maria Sharapova. Yeah, but you she's know? strong. She's you know thick. She's do you, thick, do you, do you, do you only watch tennis? That's like muscle, though. Isn't that muscle? I don't watch sports. You just get <laughs> two tennis players. Yes, because I love Serena because I'm rooting for everybody black. You don't love Maria? <laughs> I just said no. Oh, oh because everyone black. I'm rooting for everyone black. It's just black. them and her, yeah. the two sisters, and Arthur Ashe. Yes, and that's it. Exactly. No, there's this new girl coming Arthur up, Ashe too. Arthur Ashe was thin. Uh, hey, how dare you? Mm-hmm. Why you? <laughs> the point is, there could still be diversity of body types, and mm-hmm. there can be diversity of body types with healthiness. And that still doesn't talk about like the ability. I just think that... It's important to have the conversation that diversity isn't just race. It is, sure. it, it, yes. but it is. It's a problem of Star Trek, where we're in the future. So it's mm-hmm. like, why would you still have disabilities mm-hmm. or whatever? We're, I don't. Is that variety? The right? Infinite because Vol, Spock says infinite, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. However. We do amniocentesis and things mm-hmm. like that. That will only keep going. So, yeah. like mm-hmm. in two centuries, we will have this type of genetic. Uh, what do you call it? Manipulation. It? Yeah, but it's also yeah genetic engineering mm-hmm. where intervention. You can just be like, oh well, I think that I would prefer mm-hmm. if they had hazel eyes or green eyes mm-hmm. or big whatever. Tits. Big. Yeah, yeah I, I want, want my, my daughter. Baby yeah. Big. Tits. I want. The, I Thanks, want, Donald Trump. Thank I want you. Their, I want the mom to have like a forty-seven <laughs> oh day labor because the titties are just caught. 
<laughs> they have to just like crack open the pelvis because the titties just keep getting tight. Do a podcast taught. with gay guys, Colette. They said Brian's It'll straight. Be a safe I'm a straight place. white. I'm talking straight. about you. you no, I thought you would. You brought this you into my life. You thought. brought this into my life. I didn't. I, I didn't say <laughs> big titties. I just ran with uh-huh. it because I would have exactly. gone for a big dick. Hey, I, is that the umbilical cord? I was, still? I was no, talking about colonialism and stuff. So I well, can, that's the thing. Is is Star Trek and Utopia? Because it is, it's supposed to be, right? It's mm-hmm. the perfect future. Well, but, it, it, you know, our actual future future is going to have a lot of difficult questions that we need to answer, which is if we have the ability to reduce diversity for conformity, and conformity means being comfortable, uh, would we take advantage of that? Well, that thing of, like... Everyone's, and that'll be a Star Trek episode, I can guarantee you, if it hasn't been already. Like how uh, yeah. everyone will be like Obama shade. Like, that's how everyone, all humans, will just be at a certain point because H.G. Wells the said in The War of the Worlds that uh, the humans <laughs> he that said, walked... you're going to look like Obama. No, that everybody uh, who walked on the surface of the Earth was... Uh, the time machine. The time machine, yeah. sorry, yeah. It, it, the people who walked on the Earth were were all one race, basically. Mm-hmm. And the the human race. And the, the ones who were underneath the, the earth were like albino the predators, yeah, the Morlocks. Well, I mean, but also like the world's going to end in like a month or two. Like we've seen these hurricanes, like we're not, <laughs> nothing good is ever going to happen again. So like, I mean, Star Trek is all fun and good, but we're going to all be dead <laughs> in like a week or two. So like, thanks hey, for listening to our good, podcast. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the last episode. Give to our uh, Patreon. <laughs> No, so like, but yeah, it'll, I think that, yeah, as, but like amniocentesis is a very, like, that is how I feel things will be brought about where you don't say things like genetic engineering, because that just makes Mm -hmm. you think of Hitler, but it's like, well, intervention, you have, yeah, you don't even say that. It's like, do you want me to make sure that your baby like doesn't, isn't born with his heart outside of his chest? And, like, they're like, oh, yes, please. And, like, do you want to make sure, like, you don't die while you're giving birth or whatever? And they say, like, oh, yeah. yeah well, and then you look, baby. and it's like, okay, well, we'll do amniocentesis, which is genetic engineering. And if you... Well, amniocentesis is just testing the amniocentesis. Yes, but, then, but if you then see, like, oh, your baby is born with his heart outside of his chest and it's going to die the second it's born, it's like, oh, okay, well, give it an abortion, but call it something nicer than that. And then they do that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that was very sad. But that's how it's going to be. It's going to be like the it, the way that it's put forward will sound logical and logical and uh, normal and for the greater good and stuff. And so it won't just be like these huge ethical questions like that. It'll be more like, uh, hey, we have an insulin pump. Do you want that? Because mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's bringing about a f- transhumanism and shit like that or like a... Uh, pacemaker or whatever we're already there you know uh jocelyn wildenstein uh uh, michael jackson um (laughs) you know uh justin jedlicka the human kendall uh the 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 woman who uh think what is that the she's black but she's white oh lord what's her name rachel dolezal all this kind of stuff is like people playing with their bodies shaping it to whatever they want to you know, <laughs> and part of it is like, you know, the future isn't always perfect. It's it's weird and ugly, uncomfortable and painful. Hey, the future is female. 
and can be female too, you yeah. know? And part of it is like, you know, as the future of Star Trek, we'll start seeing all these questions answered. Mm. We want to thank our guest today, Brian Sweeney. Yay. Col- <laughs> Colette Gregory. Yay. <laughs> Mark Felian. Goodbye. And me, Fausto Fernos. Uh, the show is called What the Trek. Did- you can subscribe to it separately from Feast of Fun on iTunes. Just search What the Trek. And you can find us there. Uh, our podcast feed is just uh, feeds.feedburner.com slash feast of fun slash sci fi. Or you can go to feast of fun.com slash what the track, all one word, and find uh, more about this new series that we're doing. Did we like the episode? I, well, <laughs> you can tell. You can decide for yourself. Are you asking the audience or asking oh, me on I the I thought air? like we would all Did say. Did it get me super excited? No. Was, I'm, I'm, am I, is my interest peaked? Very much so. Yeah. It was messy, and I liked the ending where it was like, ha, this is a mutiny. Ha, 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 doom. I, I I'm excited it. to see where it's going because I, I believe in the ideas behind Star Trek. I don't feel like the, the movie really captured it. It's so well is this idea of exploring our humanity um, and and all these struggles that we're dealing with, all these difficult questions that we're asking right now here on the podcast will most likely be in some future episode of Discovery. I give it two and a half out of five bat lefts. <laughs> how, ma- how many do you let's go around the table and do it on the bat lift scale? Out of five bat lifts. You said two, uh, two, two and a half out of five bat lifts. Oh, I could go three. I'll up it. Yeah, I'm going to go three as well. I think that it asked a lot of uh, really great questions that, you know, we had this wonderful discussion about. It was all about the girl power. Um, I think that uh, this is a, a really good time to be having a show like this with an African-American female lead after Hidden Figures when people are talking so much about Afrofuturism. And uh, the production value was pretty darn good, I thought. Like, it felt like a, it watched like a movie, which was was pretty cool. And, you know, and I have to say, you know, it's it's not an easy show to do. You have such a diverse fan base and a contemporary world that we live in that are all pulling the franchise of Star Trek in a million different directions. And so it's it's an impossible task sometimes. So the fact that we were able to see a little bit of ourselves reflected in this show, um, I'm hoping that that it might actually grow into something that we love as much as passionate as the other series that we've enjoyed on television. It's also with uh, being a streaming show, it's ex- it's impossible to judge it episode by episode mm-hmm. because like they put little things in that won't pay off until episodes in the future and shit like that. So like, it's, like those crab people, we'll see them again somehow. Hopefully. I just know and yeah, and they don't really give like exactly what happened to uh, Michael Burnham or like as a kid or like the parents or the Klingons or mm. like and who knows, who knows, maybe her and Michelle Yao will have fun on this ship. Let's let's watch we'll, the next we'll episode. Out. Maybe episode maybe this <laughs> ship is great. We love we love the ship and Michelle Yao. In uh, our next episode, we look at Battle of Britney's uh, bi- Binary Stars. Sorry, misread that. Britney Spears. Battle for Britney Spears. <laughs> Britney Spears makes a guest appearance <laughs> as a as a hologram from the Earth's past. Uh, no, so they, they. I guess that you know, all hell breaks loose, and we see uh, they all come to a happy resolution with the Klingons, and everybody's 
Yeah. Everything works out. Series yeah. they, they work together and they find a new enemy. Klingons have no hell, so maybe they just point that out and they're like, oh, what are we yeah, fighting what happens for? happens if you don't go to Stovacor? What happens? <laughs> That's just the barge of the dead, but yeah. It's not really hell. I don't know. Stovacor is the place you want to go to. It's like Valhalla. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk more about that <laughs> on our next episode of What the Trek. Bye, everybody. Bye.